Put on your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch, because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Cellar, as the prophecy was foretold. I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel. And I'm Broadcaster Nichols. And today we're here to preview the greatest video game of all time since last week, which was also the greatest video game of all time, but this time it's Final Fantasy VII. Nicholas, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much DLC do you think you're going to buy? They must have paid you a lot of money because Yoshi P is coming after you with that statement. Seriously, though, the, the DLC is very interesting because it starts off on the preview as a summon which is a pretty big deal in Final Fantasy VII. The summons were like the key to the battle system, basically. They allowed you to kill the strongest bosses in the game, and it's right off the bat, the preview, the the bonus you get for pre-buying is a summon. So how bad do you think this DLC is going to get? Do you think it's gonna that's going to be the worst, or do you think it's going to get worse? Oh, I think it's going to get worse. I think it's just like a, seeing the Titanic sink, dude. It's like what Shit. everyone saw, dude, like... I'm, I don't want to be so pessimistic, but it just seems like if that's what they're willing to show people as a pre-order, I can't imagine what else they're going to hold back. Like, I, you know, like, I'm pretty sure we were talking about the Golden Saucer a few months ago, and I was saying how they like all those games, all those mini games, the date with Barrett or Tifa or Eris, depending on how you play things, like all that is going to be behind a paywall you really yeah. think the date scene is going to be behind a paywall apps apps fucking loot wow well that would be I, some clown world shit i think they're gonna re- the signs are already there the game's gonna be split into three which i'm not saying is is a slight but they're because they can explain their way into breaking it up into three games because it's gonna be so big or whatever that they're gonna take advantage of that to the utmost like Three games, ooh, that's three chances to have DLC. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the developer version of it is, hey, this is a good thing because now we get to flesh out the parts of the game that we kind of glossed over in the original. But then there's the sinister take that you just kind of mentioned where it's like, oh, you like that snowboarding minigame from Gold Saucer? Well, for four ninety nine, you can play it again. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying it's going to be so, like, cutthroat you know it's not going to be some 5.99 cheap one you know it's going to be fleshed out it's going to be good but in some way you're going to be paying something i know they're going to do it whether it's like they did with final fantasy 15 where you got the character story you know where they disappeared for a little bit and you got to play through their story it's going to be like that you're gonna they're gonna put the story on rails so to speak it's gonna i i think it's gonna be a lot like final fantasy 15 a lot more than they're selling Speaking of FF15, do you think that this game is built on top of the FF15 engine? I don't think so. That'd be hard. I mean, just just based on what I've seen gameplay, I mean, I'm not I'm not a game developer, so that's hard for me to really answer, but I, my gut says no. The graphics I, look just too different in the the amount I'm assuming they'd have to change the combat system just wouldn't seem like it. if it was based off 
Final Fantasy 15 engine, it doesn't seem like much is left. Yeah, so my my take on this has kind of evolved over the last uh, years. It's been two years since that very first trailer came out. I'm not even sure anymore. It's been a while. Are you talking about the teaser trailer? Well, not the one for the PS3 from 15 years ago. <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> the, the original remake trailer that came out. Uh, I think it was two years ago. It's when basically it has combat with Cloud in Midgar, just kind of fighting generic Shinra troopers. And it was the very uh, yes. first time you saw what the new action combat was going to look like. And when I first saw that trailer, I was convinced that it was FF15 engine because it looked just like it. The combat was much more rudimentary looking and just looked much more similar. And like the way Cloud would teleport around reminded me of Noctis. But each trailer I've noticed, I don't know if you've seen all the trailers, but there's been like five of them now. And each trailer, the combat gets better and better. There, You see these little improvements each trailer until you get to the final one, which is that gameplay trailer they released like... I think a month ago, that trailer, the combat looked impressive. And I don't think it's the FF15 engine anymore. I, I think I, after seeing that boss fight with the Scorpion tank, that they actually created a new engine for this game. Because when I think about what FF15 was, I don't believe that engine could handle the stuff that was happening in those boss fights. No, no. And, I, you know, me saying that it's going to be like Final Fantasy 15, I, I wouldn't. I, I'm not saying that it looks like Final Fantasy 15 in any way, but I think the way it's going to be presented is going to be a lot like Final Fantasy 15, where you're you're given these huge areas and stuff like that, and this like this scope of story that implies you have this huge land sprawling area to cover, but really it's only a few few areas with one bigger area tying it all together. You know, like how they. Uh, you remember Final Fantasy 15 much? I forget all the names for everything, but that beginning zone where they just had the huge grassy hills and stuff like that. But there was these side off areas where you like go get the summons, and I think you uh, unlocked armor or not armor. Sorry, the the ghost swords, whatever Noctis used. I forget. They were like these weapons, royal weapons. Yeah, they're like the king blades or something like that. Yeah, but other than that, it wasn't like the previous. Final Fantasies, where you had these transversible maps and there's just tons of areas to go explore. You would have to play the game multiple times because you just wouldn't want to spend so much time on one playthrough, especially not the first one. Yeah, I I bolted through FF15. I liked it, but I had no interest in doing all of the side content. And I only got like the bare minimum of the the king weapons or whatever they were called. Well, yeah. Well, the first areas were super fun for me. I I, I really enjoyed it, but then. After that, they gave you nothing. Like, that was the one area where they gave you this huge, or this, you know, area you could explore, if you will. But all the rest of the areas were on rails after that. Like, when you went to the frosted lands that you, where you got Shiva. I, I can't remember really too much, but you were on a train and Shiva attacks it for some reason. That was my favorite part of the entire game, honestly, was that whole train sequence. Yeah, but that area was super small. Like, that feeling I got when... I was like, oh, shit, here comes the next area. I grinded so much in the first one. Now I get to have this huge other area to explore and grind through. And it was just this boss fight, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. It just seemed super rushed after that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Every area was pretty much like that until you got to the, the city. Uh, you know, the, like, the damn city or whatever where Noctis is from. And we almost we both got ganked by the same Yojajimbo in the dark alley. <laughs> 
Yeah, Final Fantasy XV had kind of the same feel that Xenogears had, where it felt really good for a while, then at one point you're like, wait a second, did they just like cut a third of the game out and skip ahead, or what just happened? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, th- I do think that the uh, that the FF7 remake is not using the FF15 engine, and I actually think that they built this new engine to be inspired a little bit by Bloodborne and Dark Souls. Just based off the final uh, clip that we see for gameplay on the Scorpion tank, going back to that, you see Cloud dodging around, like doing little flips around the boss, dodging attacks, just like you do in Bloodborne. Like, it immediately struck me as, oh, I remember doing that a lot. And you even have the same guard mechanic that you have in Dark Souls, too, where you you lift your shield and you block attacks. Not an actual shield, he lifts his buster sword and does the same thing, but... You can kind of just see some creeping elements of Dark Souls slash Bloodborne, and there's no way FF15 engine could have done any of that. Well, no, no. As I said, they—if there's any Final Fantasy 15 parts in that engine, very few. I mean, it's not much left. But on that subject of Bloodborne and Dark Souls influence, I think Bloodborne and Dark Souls one of the most newer advancements in the action adventure genre. You know, before those that genre of uh, souls, if you will, came out, there it was all pretty much standard, run of the mill stuff. So I, th- I think when it comes to any, when you're building a game, and in this day and age, these souls games essentially they made such an impact in the gaming world that anytime you or any other developer makes an action adventure type of game, even though the you know Final Fantasy VII is obviously an RPG, but their combat system is not standard as what most people are used to with a traditional JRPG. Yeah, another thing that makes me believe that this game is going to be tuned up a bit too in the spirit of like games like Dark Souls is that they added a classic difficulty, like last minute. They added it very late in development, and they just announced it in that final gameplay trailer we're talking about. And they even they even show it. And basically what it does is it turns off the Bloodborne slash Dark Souls aspect and turns it into the original battle system of Final Fantasy VII. So basically yeah. what's going on is if your if your turn isn't up, if your active time battle meter is going up and it's not full yet, you just sit there and you auto attack. And then as soon as your turn comes up, the game t- stops and it becomes just like a regular turn-based RPG. You stop and you sit there and you pick your command, and then as soon as you do it, you do it, and then time starts going again. I believe they did that because they knew there were going to be people that were fans of the original that had, it was, you know, kind of a hard game, but not really. FF7 wasn't that hard. And they probably knew some people were going to get pissed off if they just made the game outright hard with no option to go back. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely could be a reason for it. But I also think... From the get-go, I'd hope at least that there was this idea that they want to try to bring the turn-based RPG idea into the modern era. And, you know, like it was this thing that every every developer that wants to make an RPG struggles with. Them. Like, well, we want to make an RPG, but we also want to make a game that people like and buy, at, aka casual, so the mainstream audience. And this is like the first big attempt. And good-looking attempt, if if I would I would say, at it. 
Yeah, and it it does look good too. Like I said, each trailer just looks better and better. They show you more things, and the things just start looking better. The texture quality gets better. The combat mechanics get better. It's very interesting to me the rollout of these trailers and how they've perfectly timed them to get your hype up at a very even keel. So there's this mistake some companies make where they get you hyped up too early and they show you the best stuff early. And then as time goes on, they show you worse and worse stuff. And then eventually you're like, oh, this game sucks. Uh, Watch Dogs is a good example of that. The hype for Watch Dogs was so big early on. And then as they showed more and more, people were questioning it more and more. And by the time the game was released, everyone was like, oh, this is garbage. I think that Square has kind of figured out the formula for this. Because they, sh- they showed some kind of questionable stuff early on and kind of simmered the hype right in the beginning. But then slowly they're like, well, you know, you might want to build that hype a little bit as we show you a scorpion tank raid boss that looks like something i've never seen in a single player turn-based rpg in my life yeah well i think there's been a lot more trouble behind the scenes for the development than than we all know there'll probably be a book written about the drama for this game's development someday it's a lot of pressure too you know this is the first i think it's going to be the first for a lot of things for sony but as far as i can tell and remember, this is the first Final Fantasy, big Final Fantasy, 3D Final Fantasy they've remade. Now, they have remade or remastered, if you will, some of the older Final Fantasy, I think, like 3, I played on my phone, which I enjoyed a lot. And uh, I think they gave 6 the same treatment. Or they just kind of HD'd 6, didn't they? Uh, I forget. The 6 one was a just a debaucherous exercise. I was so sad when I saw the FF6 remake. They replaced the old school sprites with like really weird photoshopped versions that like put some generic Photoshop filters on it to make it look a little bit like newer, but in the process made everything look horrific. <laughs> I couldn't stomach it. I couldn't even play it. I just pretend it doesn't exist, which is weird because I actually like FF6 more than FF7. So I would be, if they actually did a proper remake of FF6, I would be so psyched. And I kind of was for a second until I saw what it was. <laughs> it was rest in peace. Yeah, but I, 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 unless you can think of something, I'm pretty sure this is the not only the only 3D Final Fantasy they've remade, but the only RPG from their old school lineup that's really big. We haven't seen a Chrono Trigger remake. We haven't seen... Um, uh, we haven't seen a Xeno Gears remake. This is their first attempt at bringing back one of the coveted games that may put their company on the map. <laughs> yeah, it's, as far as triple A high budget goes, for sure. There are a couple yeah. remakes like uh, FF3, the actual FF3, not FF6. That was remade for the DS a long time ago, and that was a real remake. Like they totally redid everything. Yeah. Well, that yeah, that was the one I was talking about for the phone because they ported yeah. it to the phone. Yeah, but as far as yeah, the, the AAA, no, they have not done anything like this, and it's funny too because this would have never happened if it weren't for Final Fantasy fourteen, A Realm Reborn. That game literally financed <laughs> Final Fantasy seven. They stole money from Yoshi P to make this game. It would not exist without Yoshi P. So really, a lot of people need to send love letters to Yoshi P if they really care about this FF seven remake. Yeah. 
I'm, I kind of feel shame because I haven't played Shadowbringers yet. <laughs> Every time, anytime it, it comes up in any of the YouTubers I watch or anything like that, I hear nothing bad. It's always praise. They're like, the soundtrack is amazing. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Shadowbringers is the best expansion. And I really like Heaven's Ward too, but it beats Heaven's Ward by a pretty decent margin. That's hard for me to believe because Heaven's yeah. Ward's soundtrack and story was pretty dope too. It was, yeah. But uh, going back to FF7... Are you going to play it subtitled or dubbed? Because I believe there is going to be the option. Uh, I guess that all comes down to how good the game is. And if I'm so disgusted by it, if I'll play it a second time. Because if it is truly good and it's what it's supposed to be, I'll probably play it at least two times. And I'll probably try it both ways. But if it's bad, then... I'll probably just do Japanese with subtitles. Yeah, I don't know if it's my innate FF7 fanboyism, but I just don't believe that it's going to be bad. I really, like, deep down, give it a 0% chance of being bad at this point. Early on, I was way more skeptical, but now after seeing the totality of what they released... I just, I'm beside myself with excitement. I think that they actually are going to deliver one of the greatest remakes in video game history. I hope so. I really hope so. But I just, I don't have a lot of faith in this day and age with the business model of video games, you know. Well, yeah, this, this, the ghost or the specter of DLC and microtransaction looms over every game in 2019, which is sad. There's just so many aspects. Like, we just talked about all the gameplay aspects. The original soundtrack is being used. If you've watched all the trailers, it's all original music from FF7, just kind of reorchestrated. They are not getting cute with the soundtrack, thinking, oh, we can improve it, we can make better stuff. No, it's it's all OG. And there's a lot of little touches like that that just make me hopeful that they're going to stay yeah. true. They're not going to sell out. Yeah, and is Nobu on this one? Is he totally retired, or is he on this one? I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously, Nobuo originally composed the entire soundtrack, because it's the original soundtrack. But it yeah. might be his protege. And he does the FF14 soundtrack, which is fucking amazing and i believe he might be reorchestrating nobu's original soundtrack but i mean uh, i would figure he would come out of the woods at least for this one he might it's very possible that he that he is so i was happy about that because i think the music is an intrinsic part of the dna of an rpg as someone that's played hundreds and hundreds of rpgs there's one thing that is key when you think of an rpg any rpg the first thing you think of is the music from it. Oh, for sure. It's always the main character and the music. The battle music, especially with RPGs, is the, the, the victory music. No one ever forgets the victory music of your favorite <laughs> RPG. You know? Yeah, and another thing that looks really cool is the Materia system. So it looks like the Materia is, is exactly what it used to be, but they actually show the Materia in your weapons, which I just find, I know it's a really simple thing, but I just find it to be such a master touch into the game. Absolutely. It, well, you know, like you were saying earlier, I think it's one of those things they can now do with the given technology that they never were able to do before, because you know that was something they would want it. They would have wanted it up to them. But now they have the actual visual technology to show you those those materials and beautifully rendered. <laughs> In alternate universes where this remake's happening to a, a lesser, less professional degree, there's probably a lot that just say, fuck it, we're not even going to put the materia system in. 
and they could have easily done a lot of things with it where it's like, oh, Materia's, it's here, but, you know, it's kind of just this wall dressing, this little this little thing that's here, but it doesn't really matter, and you can turn it off or on. Materia's it, too critical to the game. Yeah, they, they realized it. They're like, okay, a big part of FF7 is the Materia system. They were self-aware enough to know that, and they built it into the DNA of the game to the point there are little polishing elements like what we're talking about, it being visible in the weapon and changing based off the Materia combination you have. Yeah. So. I'm excited about that just because it, it leads credence to the theory that they're staying true to the original heart of FF7, the heart and soul of the game. For sure. It, well, there's that, and the other thing would be the limit breaks. You know, I, if there's two things that are pretty unique, at least pre, if we're talking about pre-Final Fantasy VII, is that the limit breaks were pretty big, too. They didn't have anything like that in the previous Final Fantasies. No, but that was, then... That was their first attempt at a special move for every character. Yeah, and then every Final Fantasy after basically had him. FF7 pioneered him, and then every other one stole it from that game, basically. <laughs> you know, different versions also, of it. Also, the first Final Fantasy would have movie clips, FMVs. Yes, that is very true, because they weren't possible on cartridge. So the yeah. PS1 basically allowed that to be a thing, which is interesting, because FF7 was originally going to be on the Nintendo 64, so I always wonder, like, what were they going <laughs> to do for those cutscenes? Were they just going to do, like, in-game cutscenes? I always wonder about maybe, that. Maybe that was the deal-breaker. Maybe that was the original vision, they didn't want to compromise on it. So they were just like, fuck. You, you might be else. right. There, There's a lot of, like legend shrouded in mystery when it comes to the breakup of square and nintendo you know there are a lot of people that say they know what happened but when you really read it it kind of seems like 75 percent of it's conjecture and it could go either way but uh do you think that they're going to allow you to revive Aerith? because that was like one of like the <laughs> talk about a legend shrouded in mystery the resurrection of Aerith back in the day was like an urban legend that was told around all middle schools in america and well, the bathrooms it's- locker it's rooms not, like, did you did you know you could revive Aerith? how do you do it i don't know dude but i've heard that you can do it man we should try and figure it out well let's let's be let's set the record straight. you can't revive you you can uh call her ghost to be in your party <laughs> yeah well that's I'm what pretty, the truth yeah, yeah eventually when the internet took over and people started to be able to look this shit up it ended up being that you could revive Aerith only in the japanese version yeah. maybe the european too but not the american version definitely it's the japanese thing to omit yeah it was you know? And I think you're right. I think you just like talked to her ghost and her ghost rejoined your party or something weird like that. Yeah, it was something like that. I never really cared too much to look it up because I thought anybody that was really on that level back then was a gigantic weeb. Right. (laughs) But because FF7 has had so much time to sort of ruminate in the annals of history for RPGs, (laughs) it makes you wonder if the director is going to be like, there was this urban legend in America about being able to revive Aerith. How about we actually add that shit in the remake? It would be something that nerds would just, they would fucking nerdgasm over if that were a thing. Well, I'll, I'll say this. If the people that are in charge, like, uh, who's who's the guy that made the original Final Fantasy VII? What's his name? Tetsuya Nomura. Nomura. If he's still in touch, <laughs> if you would say, <laughs> then he'll probably do something like that. 
if they if everyone there is just so old they don't you know they're just there for the paychecks and you'll probably you probably won't see things like that you probably won't see things like uh the secret date with barrett you know <laughs> <laughs> well well speaking of that let's let's actually go to that so one of my concerns is censorship in this game because there's already an interview out with one of the high-level people who are, who's working on the game saying that they are going to have to censor some things because, quote-unquote, Western sensibilities have changed over time. And he said that in direct response to a question about the Honey Bee Inn. So, in your opinion, how much do you think censorship's going to play a role in this game? Do you think it's going to be heavy censorship, light censorship? There's so many things like we talked about the Honey Bee Inn. Then there's the date with Barrett, which you could make an argument is transphobic or homophobic or something. I, you could make some argument against the Barrett date because if you remember, it was like awkward and they, they kind of talk shit to each other and it was kind of inappropriate. There was an inappropriate joke somewhere in there. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember laughing at it, which means in 2019 you'd get canceled over it. There's, <laughs> there's also Tiffa. We've already seen that Tiffa's tits or at least two cup sizes smaller, which doesn't really bother me, but it just, you know, the specter of creeping censorship. It's, it's when like there's one, smoke, there's fire. Exactly. <laughs> and then you think about the whole Don Corneo sequence where, you know, oh, God. Aerith and Tiffa dress up as hookers. Like, there's just, <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff in this game that you could see being censored. What do you think is going to be the extent of that censorship? I, I don't know. It's hard to say, man. Japanese people don't really give a fuck. They don't. You know, but they they really don't. So I'd be interested to see what they censor, but I I can't think they would they would actually completely take out or not completely, but I don't know. 50% of the honeybee in see uh, little storyline or chapter cuz that's pretty much a huge chunk of it is it, what we just <laughs> So they would just skip it all together and maybe just have a little well, nod to it or something like that, maybe? I'm no. not sure. In that same interview, he confirmed that the Honeybee in sequence would be in the game, but he also confirmed that part of it would be censored. So as other than so basically there are two things right now we know for sure is being censored. Tiff is tits and part of the honeybee in. They're both present. Tiff isn't flat, she still has nice tits, and the honeybee in is still in the game. We just don't know the extent to which the Honey Bee Inn has been cut. And I think that when I was talking about transphobic jokes, I believe that Honey Bee Inn is actually what I was thinking of. I believe that was where Cloud cross-dresses and there is some very dubious activities going on that might get some Russell Jimmies going on, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, I get where you're coming from. But it's such an iconic part of Final Fantasy VII that I can't imagine they could get away with too much censorship. They have to please the the fans, and that's what this whole remake is about. This is not for. There's no one out there like saying, "Oh, I just can't." There's just not an RPG for me, and I'm waiting. Final Fantasy VII remake is going to be the RPG that gets me into RPGs. <laughs> RPG is a very particular group of gamers. All right, like you can't just. You can maybe appeal to the mainstream a little bit, you know, but it's you're not you're not fishing any new pool. All can right? you imagine <laughs> if the FF7 remake caught fire just like the original FF7 did? That would be insane. It's just a different well, time, though. I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I think that fire is just not capable of spreading anymore. The RPG boom is is gone. <laughs> That's sad but true. 
uh, Xenoblade 2 really disappointed me, not to go too off topic, but there there has been a lot of bad RPGs over the last 10 years. Maybe you could even really go 15 to 20 years, honestly, as sad as that is to say. There's only been a couple that I actually think's worth a shit in the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, one's an MMO. It's kind of yeah. crazy when you think about it, too. The MMO, the MMO world is keeping the rpg genre life <laughs> it is and the mmo is on life support as well so like as an rpg gamer i i do feel like a dinosaur very much so because it's i mean even you like you barely ever play rpgs anymore like when you play ff7 remake that's gonna be the first rpg you've beaten how long what was the last rpg you beat final fantasy 15 okay before ff15 maybe it would have been just remakes you know they wouldn't have been new rpgs exactly that's my point the the sorry yeah. state of rpgs you're technically an rpg gamer and you've only played like two in the last 15 years that are new <laughs> yeah. well i mean if you count final fantasy 14 i mean i beat nah, Stormblood and i wasn't counting and, yeah but yeah uh i'm trying to think hard i <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully the FF7 remake lights the torch as the crack seller would hope for. <laughs> the spirit of the crack seller. Something tells me that canister of propane is, is looking a little out in the flame. It's not going to be adequate <laughs> to light that glass stick. <laughs> so uh, what do you think about the summon system? So they haven't shown too much of it. They have shown, like, they showed Shiva, Ifrit fat chocobo but i think that's it right those are the only three they've shown from what i've seen it looks like it's this straight up exact same summon system where you summon them they come they blow shit up then they go away it doesn't seem like it's like an ff10 style or an ff15 style what do you think do you think it's the classic ff7 summon system oh yeah For, i mean from what i can tell from what i've seen i don't think that just seems like something unnecessarily risky to change I don't think the final fan, any final fan, any change to a summoning system hasn't been really well received. It's always been contained within that individual. I don't think I've ever seen some radical change to a summoning system and it be and it be uh, present in the next final fantasy. They're always different. <laughs> yeah, it's either the tried and true original or some weird wacky thing that they're experimenting with. But they never repeat it. Yeah, well, I I hope it's the original system because I think the FF7 nailed summons. It had the most simplistic yet perfect way to do it where it wasn't. FF10 system was this, my second favorite version, but I'm glad they didn't go that route for FF7 because it just wouldn't feel right to have a, a different summon system in FF7 when... When you identify FF7 and what makes it what it is, you think of 3D with a world map, with summons, with materia. Those are that's like the trinity of FF7. If you really like delve into the core of what it is, and amazing boss fights. It did have really cool boss fights, and that's another reason why I'm so excited. Based off of what I've seen so far, when you look at the very first boss of the game, and it literally looks cooler than the final boss of most other RPGs, you think of what they're gonna do with like Genova, and your your skin starts to crawl a little bit. It's just like the possibilities are really high, and I'm very much looking forward to being right about that and not being wrong because I can't take a heartbreak. This this level <laughs> yeah it's it's always hard to uh 
see your dreams get turned into nightmares. <laughs> but that seems to be a reoccurring thing with the gaming industry. Speaking of nightmares, do you think there's going to be a new weapon? Uh, like, you know, Ultima weapon, uh, Ruby weapon, Emerald weapon. Do you think that they're going to add a new one? Hmm. I haven't thought about that. Um, I would say no, because again, it's one of those things that's unnecessarily risky. Why go out of the way to create something so dramatically new where it could be Ill, you know, not well received, where they could put that time and money into something else that's going to give you the nostalgia feels, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is the thing that I wonder about is if they're going to add new stuff, like not only just weapons, but are they going to add new... They already said they're going to flesh out the game more. Does that mean there's going to be absolutely new storylines? Like, not just like a, an extra conversation with a character, but in the same context of what the original game was. Are they going to actually add brand new storyline to this game? Are they going to change existing storyline George Lucas style? Like, you know, Han shoots first. Is there going to be a Han shoots first moment in FF7? Well, I would hope that they do it the smart way and give us extra content in the way like maybe a Yuffie trip or something, you know, where you get or maybe where instead of just getting Vincent Valentine, you know, just randomly uh, finding him in the basement and having to do the puzzle in the mansion to get him. Maybe you actually get a cut scene where he appears randomly you know, and you're just like, who the fuck's that? For Especially for new players, you know, they're like, who the fuck's that? And then you don't see him again till you go to the mansion and you open up the coffin. You're like, oh, dude, it's, the, it's that random stranger guy from the cutscene. <laughs> I hope they do stuff like that. Or like with Yuffie, you know, maybe she there's a cutscene where Yuffie's weapon just like flies out and like stops an enemy before they can get to you or eat. just anything random. I'm just making this all up. But like little things like that, what they... What were not capable of in the past that they could do now that would be appropriate. Now it's not changing the storyline. It's filling in some gaps that weren't ever filled in. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or Vincent will be available for the low, low price of seven ninety nine plus applicable state taxes. Yeah. Well, that's the pessimistic <laughs> part of me that knows that's going to happen pretty much. <laughs> do you really think that's going to happen? I think everything in Final Fantasy VII that was not absolutely necessary and contingent to completing the story is going to be behind some additional paywall. I don't. I just. I. I I've seen their RPGs for the past. I don't know, five years, eight years, and nothing tells me that they are capable of making anything close too content rich as final fantasy 7 was it'll be it's a just big not change. it's not part of the business model in any are not even rpgs but any genre is if they had even if they are going to make that much content which i don't think they're going to there's going to be some missing things where people are going to be like i can't believe you didn't do this you know <laughs> but even the stuff they do i believe is going to be behind it <laughs> well Part of, on one hand, I disagree with you because I see I play FF14 religiously and they never do anything like that with FF14. The DLC is very low-key cosmetic, like mounts, stuff like that. They never charge you for like character races and stuff like that outside of like, you know, just buying the expansion or whatever. So for that game, and it's an MMO, so it's different, I get that. 
but the the way they do it in that game is so fair that it just makes me feel like it'd be such a weird step back to do something like charging for Vincent. Yeah, well, I mean, they get $150 plus from you a year for subscription, and then every year or so an expansion comes out too, right, which is another $40. So if that model applies, that's about almost $200 minimum a year you're giving to the development team of, of a Final Fantasy uh, 14 whereas with the traditional triple a game you're getting that 60 dollar hit and as most people will do and then leave and then there's going to be some you know fans that will pay the 15 20 dollar dls and cost of dlc or whatever maybe buy the extra costumes and stuff that you know they will sell so i don't think final fantasy 7 and 14 can be compared in that way because final fantasy 7 even as popular as it's going to be just doesn't have as much opportunity to pull in revenue. You know, it's just not fair. Yeah, and I agree with you. And on the other hand, they are already paywalling the Fat Chocobo Summon. Not really yeah. paywalling it, but kind of paywalling but, it. You know, and that I mean? lends, yeah, and that lends credence to what I'm saying. You know, like the gimmicky well, stuff, the the stuff that people would be like, "Well, I don't. Who gives a fuck about the Fat Chocobo?" <laughs> you know, that's what they're gonna say about the third Bahamut Summon. You know, like there's three Bahamuts in Final Fantasy VII. What if you only get one? What if the other two are behind our material you earn in the DLC or something like that? Whatever. You know, that's going <laughs> to piss some people off. <laughs> Neo Bahamut on sale for the holidays. Only three ninety nine. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, well, we, it remains to be seen if Fat Chocobo is obtainable in-game without pre-ordering. It's possible that you can still get Fat Chocobo through a quest line in-game, and that pre-ordering it just gives it to you automatically. So, you're going to try and give them the benefit of the doubt, but it doesn't look good. It's not a good yeah. look. Well, that you know, that also brings up a good point, that exclusivity, period, not even in the form of DLC, but exclusivity in any way is an ugly beast that I don't appreciate ever seen it's it just puts a bad taste in my mouth when i know there's something someone else can ha- or has that i can never have a chance at because yeah. i wasn't an early buyer i wasn't an adopter or didn't fucking subscribe to the gofundme or whatever you know <laughs> yeah no i totally agree so yeah i guess i was just cautiously optimistic about the whole dlc microtransactions thing it could go either way but I'm I'm choosing to to follow my masters blindly into the abyss on this one. Um, I just can't believe that they're gonna tarnish the legacy of FF7 by doing ridiculous microtransactions. I hope not. I mean, the the scorpion tank battle and the Abzu battle was fucking. They got me excited. I won't lie. <laughs> yeah, if if you're an FF7 fan and that final gameplay trailer didn't get you excited, then you don't have a fucking pulse. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> if you're even a remotely older gamer and you saw that, yeah, you're you got one foot in the grave. Nothing excites you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do you have any closing thoughts on uh, FF7 remake before we uh, end this? I hope it uh, turns all my uh, doubts into dust. I hope it's the the new jolt to the gaming industry that it needs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about it myself, probably a little bit more than you. I feel like you're a little bit more skeptical than I am still. But the thing that really makes me feel hopeful over anything else is just the authenticity I've seen so far. 
a good example is the motorcycle scene that they showed in one of the trailers. When I saw that and him fighting another soldier on the motorcycle, yeah. there's just this like feeling that, oh, this is FF7. This isn't just some like intern's vision of a woke 2020 FF7. This is FF7. You can feel the original creators behind it. And yeah. that makes me very hopeful for this game. I want it. I just want it to be like the feeling I got when I saw Advent Children. You know, like when I saw Advent Children, I was like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> watching one of my childhood gems played out. <laughs> you know, it's. It was such a good feeling that and that's what i'm hope that's what i hope final fantasy 7 is doing they're they're taking final fantasy 7 the actual game and they're taking the the look of advent children and bringing it together you know that's what i hope on just purely it is yeah. but the skeptical part of me says there's some caveats <laughs> yeah i remember watching advent children the first time and just thinking to myself wow i wish the entire ff7 game itself could have all the cutscenes yep. on advent children <laughs> exactly. quality and i believe that's exactly what we're about to get so please god square don't let us down amen And we're back for our review of Always Sunny in Philadelphia Season 14. We will be talking spoilers, obviously, in this review. If you have not seen Season 14 of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you should probably pause right now and come back to us later. Broadcaster Nichols, what are your overall impressions of one of the longest-running comedy sitcoms on television? Well, it's my generation, Seinfeld. That's my opinion. Even though Seinfeld, I guess, is my generation sign but you know what i'm saying <laughs> a couple seasons ago i was really worried about the setting i was i thought they had got infected by this mainstream diversity change everything that's good agenda and that's where it was going but this last season they totally turned course every episode is just pretty much a jab at some hot topic <laughs> you know like they do not give a fuck in this season yeah i agree i think that the last season season 13 i guess is the worst season in the entire run of the show and i think the season before that was the second worst and i yeah. believe that this season i don't think it's the best season of always sunny i don't think it compares to like those early seasons that were really good like season five six seven like those kind of middle of the bone meaty seasons from back in the day but this was a return to form from the it very was. first the very first episode sort of just establishes hey the old school always sunny gang is back we're not we're done with the shenanigans we're done with the river dance bullshit and they started it off by essentially turning mac into dennis jr in the opening episode which i found very fascinating it is a weird dynamic they're they're kind of embracing with this season <laughs> it is i remember when i first saw the artwork they had for this season they made it look like a american horror story or whatever with like dennis yeah. coming out of the cabin with the knife and like the yellow light behind him <laughs> and everyone running away in horror and i was like are they doing like a horror vibe to the season after watching the actual season i totally get what they were going for this season is all about the transformation of dennis from sociopath to psychopath 
<laughs> well, I think all the characters' attributes are just being amplified nowadays. You know, like well, besides D, D hasn't really shown anything to really put her character over the top in any way she hasn't done it before. You're right about Dennis for sure. Char, even Charlie, he isn't even. I think Charlie is probably way more tame than he used to be. Charlie was always doing well, something fucked up. He was always bashing rats in the basement. So he was always doing something that was like, fuck, man, that's gross or whatever. But now they're kind of just really... Charlie's almost the big trope of the show now. Like, he's always eating the cat food. They're always... It, they just really hang on those those old yeah. school jokes with Charlie. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Final Fantasy, he's like the chocobo of Always Sunny at this point. <laughs> he he's the cactar. <laughs> No, DeVito's the cactus. Touche, touche. So so really the characters are interesting. So like I said, Dennis goes from sociopath to psychopath. Mac goes from weird kind of like Well they just gay. embrace his gayness. Yeah, they, he's just he went, he's just he went, a normal gay guy now. <laughs> yeah, he went from a gay party boy in denial to just like a standard gay dude that wants to be Dennis from eight years ago. So if you look at what Mac does starting in episode one, but it really bleeds through the entire season, he starts to do the things Dennis used to do. But now Dennis is too psycho to do those things and he does worse shit. Which I find very interesting. Rachel didn't like it. She thought that Dennis was downgraded in this season, and I totally disagreed with her. I think that they were like, what can we do with Dennis? You know, we started with the Dennis system back in the day, which set the bar so high for his low-level sociopath behavior that we can't really top it. So how do we top it? (laughs) Well, let's have this final episode in the laser tag place where he has like an existential crisis to lure the fat kid <laughs> they all just go after him and that's how the episode ends and it's such a perfect microcosm for the original spirit of always sunny which they recaptured in this season yeah <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because i was really thinking about who big mo was gonna be <laughs> i thought it was gonna be like an actual character a reoccurring character <laughs> like it was gonna be cricket or something like that but <laughs> it ended up just being some random fucking kid it really did just exemplify how petty and crazy Mac, or sorry, Dennis is. <laughs> he was, and he even has like this breakdown prior to the kid coming to where you, you know, where I was previously talking to you about where <laughs> they made it seem uh, as if the series was ending. <laughs> and it was some, it was a big metaphor on the series coming to a close, right? And then they were like, now nah, fuck that. We're going to be around forever. <laughs> this fucking shoot this kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's pretty incredible what they did with the characters. It was all improvements except for, in my opinion, Charlie and Danny DeVito, uh, Frank. So I didn't think they were bad in this season. I have a very specific criticism of Frank slash Danny DeVito. He wasn't in it enough. There were certain episodes he was in and he was great as usual, but then he'd kind of vanish for certain episodes. He'd be in it, but like only like with two talking lines in the entire episode and just really be in the background. And I thought that was kind of a waste of his character because in my opinion, him and Charlie have always been the heart of the show. And with him kind of as a background character and with Charlie kind of retconned into this kind of fantasized version of himself where he's 
a little too intelligent. So in the in the past with Charlie, he was retarded, but he'd have these brief moments of brilliance for like one episode, and then he'd go away and go back to being like the total retard that he is. Now, like the flowers for Charlie episode, yes. the greatest episodes of all time. Oh, for sure. And and now they've kind of just turned him into like a sarcastic, smarmy, semi intellectual in a lot of these episodes to the point where I just raise my eyebrow. What are you trying to do to Charlie? Is this is this the actor behind Charlie wanting to change the character, or what is their goal behind it? I didn't. Like I think it. it's. I think it's probably just Mac. I think Mac directs. I'm not sure. I forget who actually overall directs the television show, but I think it's just their perception. They know Charlie's the most popular actor out of all of them. Everyone knows who Charlie is, so they kind of just one of those things they think about well how do we what do we want to emphasize on what gets us the most views well the the creators of the show are rob McElhaney and charlie day which is mac and charlie yeah so they are the original creators of the show and they're actually the writers of like like when they do not most episodes they used to be the writers of most episodes now they're just like the writers of some episodes d the person who plays d doesn't write at all the person who plays dennis doesn't write at all danny devito doesn't write at all so it's just those two and like the main characters that actually is involved in the show in a non-acting sense so i do think that they have a control over their characters which it's puzzling because i understand why they do what they did with mac i actually liked what they did with mac seeing him (laughs) the episode uh, uh the gang chokes where he, where you discover that he's doing Munchausen by proxy to Dennis poisoning with pizza and pop <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> with what was it like rat poison or something inside of it? I forget what he was putting in, but seeing that happen and you're just like, this is a hundred percent something Dennis would have done seven seasons ago, and you just see Mac doing it, and you're just like, I see what they're going for with this. Mac's been so obsessed with Dennis this whole time that now he's literally imitating his perception of what he believes Dennis is. Yep. I don't get it with Charlie, though. It's so weird because the best of Charlie, like Bird Lawyer, the Bird Lawyer episode, when it went, the meme where it shows him like pointing at the board with all the connections going across. You've seen that meme, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's Charlie. That's Charlie. <laughs> and now they've turned him into this weird kind of smarmy character that's a little too smart, but not really smart, just like average intelligence now. Like he's become normal. I don't like the fact that he's become kind of normal in this season. Well, yeah, it's kind of just been too... It's They're just Frank and Charlie. You know, there is no just Charlie or Frank. It seems like they're just the little tag, the, the, the gruesome twosome, you know? <laughs> I think they've kind of relied on that trope a little too much. They're just not independent characters anymore. Yeah, for Most sure. Most of the scenes with them is in their apartment together or them off separated from the group somehow, you know? And that was the same in the first episode, which is the other half where they're trying to get like hot Swedish girls to come sublet their apartment for a couple of days. And they end up getting these old dudes from Sweden that like at first they hate and everything, but then like, you know, they have like the, Oh, now we're buddies. And then the, the actual hot girls show up. I think part of the reason I don't like this. One of the reasons I don't like this season as much as I could have is because there's a lot of unrealistic scenes. So one of them is in this episode where these girls show up into this decrepit shithole apartment and they're like, oh, it's so nice. Oh, there's so much space. 
And then you're like, okay, no hot girl from Sweden's ever going to say that about this apartment. Then they're like, oh, there's no door on the bathroom, but don't worry, I'll be your door. And they're like, oh, don't worry, we're free with our bodies. To these people that look like serial killers in an apartment that looks like it belongs to serial killers. No, yeah, we'll that's see. not. It's stupid. It's totally yeah. and unrealistic. They, and totally, totally. But they also, I think what you're trying, in a way, getting at is that they had an opportunity to turn that into an always sunny spin, but they this the element wasn't there anymore. It's like they almost didn't even see it. You know, like those girls should have been turned into like some psychos themselves, which would explain why they would even want to go into that apartment to begin with. But yeah. no, they were just normal girls that ended up getting kicked out by them, which was the a very unrealistic element of it. It's like you guys could have spin that in a more always sunny way, but you decided just to make it a really cheap one off thing. For sure. And the, they tried to explain that away with, oh, they're heroin addicts. That was like they're hanging a lantern on it, which is a, light, a writer's term for explaining something that should be obvious but isn't explained. That is essentially what they tried to do is like, oh, they're heroin addicts. No. So that's why they were acting so, you know, like this. The bullshit. Not believable. <laughs> no, dude. Trust me, if nine slash ten women that are blonde from Sweden show up at your doorstep saying those words, it's not because they're heroin addicts, okay? <laughs> that is fucking <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> but they did it just so that they could get to the, the ending of the episode, which was going to be a rom-com weird ending, which I also thought was ridiculous and stupid. And it was all set up by the other side of the story with uh, Dennis and Mac after, you know, they say, oh, there goes our storybook uh, romantic comedy ending, which I think is the best part of the episode when mac has his little speech to the couple at the end of that that was one of my favorite moments of the season and it's on paper it's not that funny but i think this really speaks to the acting ability of mac he made this scene so funny that i watched this episode twice and i laughed out loud hard the second time watching it which is pretty good <laughs> yeah it's kind of a shame he doesn't get any other roles in hollywood he's it's weird out of everyone He's the only one I haven't seen get a get a shot. Everyone else got one. It is weird too because he like when they show like the creators of the show, he gets top billing. Charlie Day is second bill on the creators of Always Sunny. So if you're talking like the one sole creator at the very top, it's going to be Rob McElhenney. It's going to be Mac, which makes it all the weirder that he hasn't gotten any gigs outside of this show. Maybe he does want to. That's what he I think it's got to be. Yeah, keeps his roster clean. <laughs> What do you think about the overall production quality being improved? Because I noticed that the camera seemed better, the editing seemed better, the music and the cinematography seemed better. Just like everything about the production of the show felt cleaner and higher quality this season. Do you agree? Well, for sure. I mean, between the gang solves global warming and well, I forget what the episode, the name of the last episode was, the laser tag arena. Oh yeah, the gang gets Big Mo. <laughs> Big Mo. <laughs> Between those two, was that some pretty high budget tracks playing in the, in the in the episode? So I was really surprised by that. Oh yeah, it had like the '80s music. Yeah, in the gang's all global, dude. 
I think I don't know. I'm pretty torn, but I'm pretty sure that's my favorite episode. Like I, <laughs> I was dying from start to finish it's, with that episode. It's funny. So, so I watched this season twice, and when I first watched uh, the gang solves global warming i didn't like that episode and it was actually i was thinking it was my least favorite but on the second watch i fucking fell in love with that episode i don't know if i just was only half paying attention the first time or what but the subtlety in that episode at first it looks like they're doing like a pro climate change message with the episode but then when you really start to pay attention (laughs) yeah you realize that they're totally mocking it and mocking all of the people that believe in it like all the people in the bar during the climate change except for the asians that are just there to use it that was one of my favorite parts of the episode but <laughs> the, just the crew of yakuza in the corner <laughs> that are just there using their resources and like grimacing at everyone <laughs> that was great but like all everyone else like the the 20 year olds that are partying and shit those are like supposed to be like the average american that believes in climate change they want to talk about it and virtue signal about it but then when it comes down to business when someone says hey we need to conserve a little they're like immediately trying to murder them <laughs> yep <laughs> that's what danny did that's what frank's like hints to like right before it happens he's like no nah, there's no togetherness as soon as shit hits the fan these people are beasts <laughs> <laughs> which yeah that was one of his best lines of the entire season by the way yeah and what in one of those this kind of bring comes back to what makes an episode feel like an always sunny episode that the reason why it's my favorite episode is at the very end when they have this in my own my own words the gas leak feeling you know like when something all the like there's this story shift or this like just this weird perspective just gets gleamed on the episode where you're just like what's going on are they breaking the storyline is the are they breaking character right now and that at the very end of that episode when all the people turn on them you know it's like they're it's such a stupid thing you know like no human would ever do that but for always sunny these people are going to go rabid because they're getting told the ac is getting turned down in a bar that's flooding that and they're all butt-ass naked you know and they turn into these ravenous beasts that start to storm the bar you know (laughs) it's like one of those gas leak moments where you're just like is everyone high as fuck what's going on (laughs) you know and that's why i love that episode so much that's why i like the the last episode so much when they play that stanley kubrick shining song I'm just like, wait a minute, what's going on right now? And then they start having these weird like themes where like we've always been in the the laser tag arena, and they keep reiterating it with like every character saying like How, it feels like we've been in here forever, like you know. And it, all of a sudden it becomes this this uh, metaphor for the series. You know, they've always been in the bar, they've always been doing the same thing, but they haven't been having fun lately. And that's where I really started to pick up on the meta part of it. You know, like this gas leak feeling where you're just like, wait a minute, are they like breaking character and starting to like tell the truth on how they really feel about the series now like you know they're not having fun anymore and they're all up in the maintenance lofts and they're all doing it for the dollar dollar bills you know and it's like this giant this giant metaphor and at the very end of the episode they actually it's like they admit it they're just like yeah i think it's time to hang up the hat and then everyone looks at each other it's like i guess it's over you know <laughs> and then they and then they totally bring it back you know yeah i think the finale is one of the better episodes of the season it's not my favorite of the season but it's like in the top 
three probably just because it starts off as like this weird like introspective chat with dennis and charlie where like you said they're it's kind of a metaphor they're kind of talking about the show while talking about this laser tag arena and this endless game that they've been in for this whole time and it, it slowly gets more dark and more dark there's not a whole lot of laughs in the episode and by the end of it you're starting to say to yourself man this is a real bummer of an episode all the way to the end where you think that they give up on the show and that this is going to be the actual end where they literally in a metaphor way just say yeah we're done and walk out of the set but then they like as in the dumb and dumber would say and you totally redeemed yourself (laughs) they wait for the fat kid it ends up just being a total fucking ruse they wait for him ambush him the smile on danny devito's face as they walk through that tunnel brought joy to my heart and then they're like bitch we're never leaving and then they just pounce on the kid and like rape him with lasers and then that's the end that was beautiful. Yeah. That was a beautiful ending to an episode and to a season, and I really appreciated it. Well, it's a classic end to a season, too, because every good Always Sunny season ends with the most selfish of acts. Like, sometimes criminal acts, you know? <laughs> like, they just end on this such dark note, you know, you're just like, fuck. Like, when they burn Cricket down in that apartment, and you think they killed him, and then he comes back as a mutated person from the rest of the fucking series. <laughs> it's such a dark episode. It's oh, like yeah. It's like trying to squash the beef with all these people they've slided throughout the seasons. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, you know what? Fuck it. We're terrible people. <laughs> and I, I found it interesting that they kind of recognize that this is a dark show and maybe it wasn't dark enough last season and we kind of lost our edge. And they start the very first episode as being probably one of the darker episodes in a long time. Would you agree with that? Just the, oh, Mac, yeah, and, sure. the Mac and Dennis side of it was super dark. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. But then after that, they kind of like trail off the darkness a little bit. And you don't even mind because, like, they set this tone early, and you kind of trust them. So you, so you let the you let your scrutiny go off a little bit, which is perfect because the second episode, this leads into my favorite episode of the season: Thundergun Four Maximum Cool. <laughs> this episode was fucking amazing for multiple levels. First of all, it's basically them in a focus group in Hollywood talking shit to Hollywood directly to their face the entire episode, which I just enjoyed that on a base level. But second, you look at the way they all interact with this this woman who is like the, Dennis calls her the moderator, but whoever the, the studio person is who's there to get their thoughts on the movie, they basically make fun of her the entire episode <laughs> ruthlessly, and their entire criticism when it comes boiled down is a a sort of a metaphor again there's a lot of metaphors in this season they're like oh you're not going to be able to watch these anymore because of piracy and then their own show is one of the most pirated shows on the internet so they're kind of talking to the viewer like hey buddy did you pirate this episode (laughs) and i loved i loved the meta of that you were definitely landing on it every single episode in the season almost represents what they were going through in the last previous two seasons or even more you know the slow degradation of the process that is is because these uh, social elements if, if you will you know and then they made fun of all of them in this season <laughs> yeah they did and 
the reason that that uh, Thunder Gun Four is really my favorite episode is just because Dolph Lundgren's in it. I fucking love Dolph Lundgren, <laughs> and I loved the little fake movie scenes they had with him. Like th- they were fucking hysterical, dude. <laughs> they were. <laughs> and then for their final criticism of the movie to all hinge on the fact that they didn't see Dolph Lundgren's Dom. <laughs> I don't know like, why, but I fucking love that. It cracked me. It's the not a Thunder Gun unless you see. <laughs> <laughs> <It's all from laughs> <laughs> <So> good. <laughs> oh man yeah it, it was so funny though just like the the criticism that they gave this woman about this fake movie was so poignant like as far as like the average viewer for a movie now like when charlie when they're talking about oh yeah he's handing the torch over to his son and then charlie's like wait a second he had a son <laughs> <laughs> I fucking cracked up so hard because that's so true of the average viewer in 2019. Like they, no one really knows what's happening, and they're just there to kind of have something to talk about with their boss or their friend at work or whatever. It's all about posturing almost with popular television, and you see that a lot with Game of Thrones. You meet a lot of people that say they like Game of Thrones or they're into Game of Thrones, but they're just saying it because they're supposed to say it. You see that with comic, but the comic book franchises too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 almost like this way of letting people that weren't necessarily that nerdy or had an opportunity to read that shit and now they can conversate with the with the other people that always read the comics and they were always jealous when they talked about you know cyclops being in love with gene or whatever and they're like oh man why can't i talk that you guys <laughs> yeah yeah if you if you go beyond just like the most basic surface level they get exposed and it becomes very awkward really quick and i think <laughs> yeah. that's basically what charlie was supposed to convey in that scene and well yeah it's, it was just a giant critique on the movie industry just hollywood in general yeah and i found it ironic too that part of the episode they were like well the reason that we did this made it pg-13 is because rated r movies don't sell anymore blah blah and this is like on the the hinge of joker going over a billion worldwide (laughs) so it's funny how the timing of watching this episode i think i watched it right before joker came out i believe this episode was basically released the weekend before joker came out i just find that really hilarious that they're sitting there like oh yeah you know no one watches rated our movies anymore than a week later joker breaks every single record in existence (laughs) totally shitting on the movie executives take in this episode which was supposed to be shit on so there's a lot of pathetic beauty in this episode by the writing yeah it's it's uh, that's just nothing talking about joker though i won't go off on that i had an interesting thought about it So, uh, the other episode I liked a lot, which would probably be my second favorite episode, is The Janitor Always Mops Twice. Yeah, so, that was definitely my second favorite. <laughs> so, 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 there's a few reasons I like this episode. First of all, I just love Neuer. It's yep. one of my favorite subgenres of movies, uh, like Dark City. I, I know that you're a fan of Dark City, and that kind of Absolutely. was also a Neuer movie. There's just a lot of potential in Neuer that is not exploited. Like, it's just a subgenre that doesn't get any love anymore. And to see a television show that's a fucking raunchy comedy do a Neuer episode was fucking awesome. It was such, like, a curveball. And they did the... I love the treatment to the the style they gave it, because they didn't change any of the background. All, like, the Charlie's apartment, the bar, everything. There was no props that made it 
you know 1920s or whatever it was supposed to be in but they gave it the black and white and they also did their best accents and kind of acted like they that that uh era but the parts that killed me the most is how well they picked the words to to represent their like present day words like bird being replaced by goon that killed me dude like <laughs> when, when he's like oh, i'm getting more of a goon vibe from you I was like, that, that was too much for me dude yeah. he's like when you mess with the toilet you get the janitor <laughs> the, yeah the writing in this episode was fucking brilliant but that wasn't even close to the best part the direction was brilliant also not the best part the best part of this episode was the acting i was shocked <laughs> at how good these guys were at doing Noir versions of themselves, especially Dennis. The what Dennis did yeah. with his character was mind blowing, and I think it's going to get him some roles, dude. I straight up think it's going to get him some roles. Hopefully, man deserves it. I feel like AP Bio wasn't fair no, shake for him. Definitely not. The only person that comes out of this episode looking bad is the the chick that plays D Reynolds. She. Su- I don't know if this was a part of the the whole direction of the episode and they wanted her to suck. And it was like, oh, Dee's, Dee's a loser, so we're going to make I, her suck at acting, too. I thought she, I thought she was. Well, yeah. Well, that is kind of Dee's character. She, Dee's char- a part of Dee's character is that she's she wants to be an actor, right? You have to remember that. Mm-hmm. That she's a shitty actor as a character. So she has to incorporate those elements. <laughs> Yeah, so- <laughs> she rolls over dead. In the and they're like, "Ah, Jesus Christ! What are you? <laughs> oh my God! Why are you smiling?" He's like, "Why yeah. well, look pretty? You're dead." <laughs> That's why I was thinking it might be shtick, and it might just be part of the character because some of the scenes where she's acting, it's it's like she's purposefully trying to be as bad as possible. <laughs> Well, for sure. Like at the very end of the episode, when she switches to the cop, right? <laughs> she's yeah. just like, they're like, "Wait a minute! I thought you were supposed to be another character." They're like, "No, nah, I switched. I'm just tired of being called the goon." <laughs> it's like oh. I, I thought she did a great job. I also loved when Charlie broke character, <laughs> just eating the fucking pie, and she's just like, "Charlie, those, <laughs> you're eating the pie." He's like, "This is a really good pie. He did a really good job." <laughs> He's like, "All right, all right, just one more bite, one more bite, all right." Uh, all right all right so what are you telling me (laughs) oh man yeah yeah that was that was a classic i think that when the show is over in the near future i'm assuming because 14 seasons holy shit uh this episode's gonna be one of the ones that people talk about i think Uh, like in the terms of the entire portrait of the always sunny universe it's gonna be one of those episodes like the bird lawyer episode like the uh they go on welfare episode where they start smoking crack uh the one where they torture cricket there's there's a bunch of them like that where the one with the dudes that drink have the milk mustaches that practice incest uh yeah there's these episodes that are just going to kind of stand out and i think that this this uh it definitely is up there yeah the jander always mops twice is going to be in that list for sure you know you bring up an interesting point the o'boyles the o'doyles i forget (laughs) is it a long time it's the O'Boyles. The O'Boyles. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what happened. I know that one guy got pretty big. He got a few, you know, big movies to star in, but I'd be surprised if he isn't willing to come back. Maybe it's just timing or something. Who knows? Yeah, it's it's probably a thing, too, where one of them will come back and the other won't, and they're kind of like, well, you're kind of a package deal, so if your your popular friend won't come, you're not coming either. That'd be such a shame. 
Yeah. Last does. time they came in, they hit it off so well. They had like Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> I kept playing that. That was just too funny. <laughs> so, what was your least favorite episode of the season? I think it's between D Day and the Gang Text. I think the Gang Text was probably my least favorite. There was a couple good jokes in there, but the overall episode was just kind of lame. It didn't see. It almost seemed like a lot of the jokes in the episode were forced. Wow, that's funny because. Uh, I'm looking at my notes right here, and I have two episodes listed under my least favorite episode, and it lists the gang text and D-Day, exactly what you just said. So we have we have very similar thoughts on this season, apparently. Uh, well, every other episode was so good. Like, the gang gets so romantic. I can't... It, so I watched two, that so long ago. Uh, I can't remember it, but... The, so out of the two... Uh, well, the first episode is the gang gets romantic. That was the dark one with uh, the subletting. Oh, yes. Yes. I think that one was like middle of the road for the season. It, was, it wasn't It was bad. It wasn't the best. It was pretty good. But what out of those two, the gang text and D-Day, which one is your absolute least favorite? I think the gang text. Yeah, that episode was hot garbage. I wanted to kill myself watching it. The second time I watched it, I like barely paid attention to it because I just like, I just didn't give a fuck. It's such a bad episode. Danny DeVito is 100%. This is one of those episodes I was talking about where Danny DeVito kind of disappears. He He's barely in it in a talking role, and when he is in it, it's just total horrible writing, and you can tell that he's checked out in this episode. You can see like the look in his eyes where he's like, what the fuck are we filming right now? Yeah, it seemed like a filler episode. It did, and the interesting fall. thing about it is that Rob McElhiney and Charlie Day are the ones who wrote that one. And you would think that that would make it one of the better episodes, but I believe it's the second worst. I actually think D-Day is a little bit worse, but I it's really close with the gang text because that episode's a, not good. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not total hot garbage. Like, there's a couple good jokes, like when the whole, like, pissing on Max feet to assert dominance. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> Him catching fucking uh, a dentist in the bathroom. <laughs> And the guy, the the two dads are like, is this a grinder meeting? <laughs> like, some of those were pretty funny, but overall, the episode, especially the end where they all had their muskrat or whatever the hell okay. it is. That was what I was going to get to moment. is I think that one of the weirdest moments in the entire history of Always Sunny in Philadelphia is in this episode. And it's the ending where they are playing the Lion King theme with them bobbing their heads up and down in these weird circle tubes surrounding each other. It was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in the show. It was on par with the river dance from last season, just much more brief and not as annoying because it was only like 30 seconds as opposed to like half an episode is what the river dance felt like. But there was just something very bizarre about the end of that episode. It reminded me of uh, the 40 year old virgin. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Remember at the end where, out of nowhere, they all just start dancing on a hill singing The Age of Aquarius? <laughs> I thought that was amazing. <laughs> That's sort of what this reminds me of an always, like, an always sunny version of that. Because, like, they're not singing, but, like, they're just, like, bobbing their heads up and down, like, staring at each other with Lion King music playing and no actual talking going on. And then it just ends. It is so fucking bizarre. Well, it was so bizarre because they were trying to imply that the gang is not as together as they used to be or they could be closer or something like that. And this was the moment where they all realized they were a family or something in that nature. And it just and it didn't jive with me. I'm just thinking to myself, uh, don't they isn't like that's the whole 
deal with the squad. They're all like family, but they treat each other like total shit. (laughs) That's like, that's what this whole like series has been about. And they sometimes come together for even shittier reasons. They usually find camaraderie with each other over putting other groups of people down. Like this idea that they're, Oh, you know what? We should be nicer to each other. Or, ah, you know what? I think I finally see why I hang out with these people. It just seems like such an unnecessary and stupid <laughs> thing to try to flesh out in an episode. Yeah, it, it was it was dumb. Not, I didn't not like the that, episode. The texting overlay, I hate that. Like, they actually show texting bubbles in in on the screen. I think that's such a stupid. It was horrible. Yeah, it was the worst. Yeah, the texting emoji crap was the worst part of the episode and it was like the main part of the episode so that's why the episode is the worst or the second worst in my opinion for sure there was nothing funny about the emoji stuff every single joke they tried to do with the emoji stuff fell 100 percent flat with me i don't know if it was just trying to go for like young millennials that are like in their early 20s or mid 20s that are connected with emoji culture but i'm not so it just all seemed really fucking stupid to me so, overall, I think that this was the weakest season for Danny DeVito. I feel like he was in it, and there were a couple episodes that his heart was actually in, but not very many. And for the most part, he was either just a wallflower or almost completely MIA. Do you agree with that? Well, you watched the season twice, and I just recently got done with the season. So, you might have seen some things I didn't, but... I also would, I, I probably would just agree with you just based on the fact that I thought he was already gone and the fact that we have him <laughs> is, is I guess, fortunate and lucky. So I just, I maybe I didn't see it, you know, but. Hmm. Well, it could be my imagination, I guess. But the one thing I do notice about him in this season specifically is that he single-handedly saved D-Day from being like the worst episode in the entire history of Always Sunny. His part of D-Day was the only redeeming factor of that episode. <laughs> it, it, like, when, like when, <laughs> he's sitting there cross-dressed, like when, when he, he's playing the valet, right? And the woman yeah. drives up and he's sitting there like driving. <laughs> and she gets out of her car like, what the fuck? And she's like, are you okay, sir? And he's like, it's not the clams. I said it's not the clams. It would make no sense for it to be the clams. Dude, that had me rolling so hard. I, I laughed harder at that than I probably laughed at a lot of the episodes, even though in totality of that episode, it's my least favorite. But his part of it was so fucking good that I believe it completely saved the episode. It was just Danny DeVito at his best, you know. When when Danny DeVito's being grotesque, that's that's his character, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was good, and I I feel like it's weird that his best scene was in the worst episode, and I feel like that speaks to what I'm talking about with how they underuse Danny DeVito. How can his best scene in the entire season be in the worst episode of the entire season? It just <laughs> it's a shame. Well, comedy suggests subjective you know to us Mm. but who knows what they Mm. think themselves and what other people might think i mean shit if we look at the the metacritic reviews or whatever score they get for the series we might be pleasantly surprised on what episodes get more well received do you think if you did a, a random poll of always sunny fans on what the worst episode of this season was do you really think that d-day wouldn't be at the top of the list 
I think the gang tax would be at the top of the list. Well, no, I mean like not the absolute, not maybe not the absolute worst, but let's like just say that they're rating all of them and there's a top ten. It's going to be in the top three, right? You oh, really think sure. it's going to fall out of the top three? No. Yeah, no. That's, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I, it's you know, comedy is subjective, but most of that episode was just really stupid. And the scene where Charlie and Dennis French kiss was so cringe. Yeah, it was really fucking weird. I couldn't believe how cringe that was and whose idea was it? Why did it not get edited out? What was the point of it? It was just bad. The whole episode it was, was bad. Oh, I tell you exactly what it was for. You know, they take they, they don't pull a lot of punches. And I think the reason they get away with that is because they embrace certain elements of the social norms nowadays. What they like, well, oh, well, you know, they did have two dudes kiss so (laughs) that makes them not homophobic (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the one thing i did really like danny devito in though uh other than d-day was the gang chokes what did you think about the gang chokes that was the one with the munchausen by proxy oh oh that uh that was where um they tried to poison uh, Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I almost forgot about it. So <laughs> that one was really good. Well, this this was like, this was Danny DeVito's episode. If you're going to say, did he have an episode this season that was his episode? It would be the gang chokes. And basically the episode starts out with him in a restaurant and him choking to death. And no one would save him. None of the gang would save him. And some waiter ends up coming to save him. And like, it's also the waiters episode too. It was that was his that was his episode, man. <laughs> it was, and the the brilliance of this episode wasn't in the actual choking scene or the Munchausen by proxy with with uh, Dennis and Mac. It was what Frank did after he was saved by this waiter. He he breaks into the waiter's house. He he just like like a stalker serial killer moves his mom around and like starts feeding her like this blue pudding and he shows up and he's like what are you doing what are you feeding my mom and he's like oh oh blue has the most antioxidants <laughs> <laughs> the way he delivered that line was so genuine i it was it was really good acting from him in this episode and it was legitimately funny what what do you think though about the fact that in this episode why is it not one of your favorites because i feel like this episode should be my favorite and it should be your favorite, but neither of us named it in our favorites. I think it has a lot of lulls in it. Is that it what has it some is? Really, Yeah, I think it has some really good jokes overall, but the, the pacing of the episode kind of hangs a little. Whereas, you know, like waiting for Big Mo and the gang solves global warming, they were just from start to finish. That's why I like the gang solves global warming so much because it feels like a real like early one through five or one through five seasons for them. You know, like it's just one of those pure episodes where it was just a terrible idea through and through. They embraced it. They act like they should. And they also have a very like climatic ending. <laughs> like, cat- <laughs> yes, yeah, they true. also have really good music. That's why I was saying earlier, you always can judge an always sunny episode by their intro. You know how good the episode is going to be just based on how the intro goes. And global warming was just so good. Yeah. When they're like, you know what, guys? No, 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 no. We're going to monetize this whole global warming thing. We're going to spin this. I was like, this is such an always sunny gang thing to do. You know? <laughs> For sure. And I do think that the the gang chokes, the ending is really lackluster. So you might be on some with that. D getting poisoned. 
Yeah. And then the waiter coming. the poison. Then the waiter coming and saving her, just like he saved Danny DeVito, Frank. And then she's just like, I've seen the... It's just black. I don't like it. I don't want to die now. (laughs) And then that's basically the end of the episode. It was was very lackluster. And it's almost like you probably should have just cut it after she was on the floor dying and just not showed anyone save it and just end it right there because then at least <laughs> you would have had this like what the fuck did they just kill d off type thing yeah <laughs> and that it, that just goes to show you like we were talking about earlier with them just kind of missing out on some of these opportunities to be like their older selves like with the the swedish uh, exchange students in the, the apartment and stuff like that with this one they could have started off the next episode, you know, with Dean in a hospital recovering because they waited too long to put the EpiPen in or something like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, do you have any other thoughts on season 14 of Always Sunny before we give our rankings? Well, overall, I think, like you said, it's, it's a return to form. It's the best season they've had probably in the past four seasons, maybe three seasons. And I hope... <laughs> I hope they really start embracing this uh, these themes more, you know, where an episode can um, just kind of break their 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 meta, you know, with the laser tag arena where they were playing the Stanley Kubrick music and they were kind of implying that the show was just one giant game and stuff like that. I, I want to see more stuff like that because I thought that was super original of them and it was it, it was really funny <laughs> to me at least. So. Yeah, I hope things like that occur. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I like the hard left turn they took on the political aspect because it definitely felt the last couple seasons before that they were starting to lean SJW a little bit. And it was really bothering me, honestly, because yeah, Always Sunny... Yeah, my heart. Yeah, Always Sunny is like this like Goliath of anti-political correctness like the very first episode i think of the show was about an abortion clinic right like it was some really dark shit no it it was it was about hating gay people okay (laughs) or being homophobic okay so maybe the second episode is what i'm thinking of but it was in season one for sure either way like this show kind of started off on this footing of hey we're gonna say some shit that's gonna offend a lot of people and the last couple seasons, it seemed like they were backing off of that promise. And I think that's why a lot of people started to fall off. This season, if it may not be the best season they've ever done, but what it did is it set the course. It set the, the course correct again. It's back to being the old Always Sunny. It has the gang doing gang-like stuff, like the stuff that you would expect them to do. Not the river dance, but taking advantage of global warming monetarily you know stuff like that and uh i also agree with you on the the finale that whole thing with the stanley kubrick music and the soundtrack and by the way this entire season had really good music that's another thing that i think is going to go under the radar in this season is they probably spent a lot of money securing music rights for this season there's a lot of good stuff in it But uh, yeah, either way, I think that they really set the ship right, and then they finished it with an absolute classic of a season finale. So uh, here in the Crack Cellar, we use the official Joker ranking system, and... Patent pending. Listen, it is is patented, bunny ears. (laughs) (laughs) Silent bunny ears, it's patented. (laughs) So don't steal it. on that on that ranking system, what will you give season fourteen of Always Sunny in Philadelphia? 
an A. I'm going to give it a Jack Nicholson. Ooh, a Jack. All right. Well, I am going to give it the same. I also give it a Jack Nicholson, an A rank. I almost gave it a Heath Ledger, and the second watch actually convinced me to go up to Jack Nicholson. I feel like some of the subtlety of this season on the first watch you might miss, especially if you're watching it like tired before bed or something, which is what I usually do with these types of shows. The second watch, I did it completely during the day, you know, fully with all my faculties and it just it it catapulted the rank up for me because there's a lot of metaphor and just meta stuff in this show that really brings back the spirit of Always Sunny in Philadelphia and it it just felt like a get right season. Yeah, I think that's in a in a very simple way of describing this season. I think it was just very meta. They it was almost like they were trying to explain in a weird way what happened the past two seasons. You know, through every episode, all the subjects they were thinking, they were just like, well, we were so obsessed about not hurting people's feelings on all these things. And they're like, you know what? Let's make every episode about those things that we are trying to avoid and caused us to make shitty content. Yeah, 100% agree. But yeah, so uh, both of us give this season a Jack Nicholson, an A rank. And with that, we will close things out. The glass dicks cool down. But do they crystallize? There's no such thing as free math, Daniel. There is in Rock Springs, Wyoming, Nicholas. (laughs) As long as you bend over. That was the sound of the cellar door slamming shut. (laughs) 